There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to talk about one of my absolute favorite topics, trust. Now, all of you know that trust is really important for business and for collaboration and for partnerships and for leading, well, just about for everything. And we all know how easily it is to disrupt trust. But I think we spend far too little time thinking about how trust is actually created in a business context. So what can we do to increase trust? What conditions make a better environment for trust? And what can you do to get people to take your advice or follow your lead or be persuaded about you, whether that's internal or whether that's an external client? And that's true, especially when you're not the expert. All right, so with me today is Charles Green. Charles is an author, speaker, and world expert on trust-based relationships and sales, particularly in complex businesses. He's the founder and CEO of Trusted Advisor Associates, and he's the author of three books, Trust-Based Selling, co-author of The Trusted Advisor, and The Trusted Advisor Field Book. Now, Charlie works with complex organizations to improve trust in the sales, in the organization, with clients, with customers, and he spent 20 years in management consulting, philosophy degree from Columbia, and an MBA from Harvard, and he's also authored a number of um, articles, including in Harvard Business Review and a host of others. So, Charlie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate being here. I am thrilled about it. Um You've done a great deal of research into trust. So one of the things that you talk about is the trust equation. Tell us about that and how does it work? Okay. I think that's the most uh, compelling uh, part of, of all the stuff for most people. The trust equation <clears throat> is a way of describing or talking about one half of trust, and that's the trustworthiness part. We can talk later about the other part, which is trusting. But the trust equation talks about you know, the components of being trustworthy, uh, the components of how people describe you if they trust you. It's very simple. It's uh, uh, C plus R plus I over S. And that stands for credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. So very quickly, credibility is do I believe what you tell me? Reliability is can I trust you to do what you said you'd do? Intimacy is, do I feel safe and secure sharing things with you? Do I feel you're not going to treat me, you know, badly or, or, or mis, uh, mistreat what I tell you? All those are positive attributes, which is why they're in the numerator. So if people rank us highly on those, then to that extent, they view us as trustworthy. The denominator factor, of course, goes the other way, self-orientation, which means the more self-oriented people perceive us to be, the less trustworthy they will call us. Self-orientation comes in two flavors. The obvious one is selfishness. The less obvious one, but which actually more important and pervasive for most people in business, is not selfishness. It's self-preoccupation, neurotic self-obsession all the time, worrying, how am I doing? What are they thinking of me, et cetera? So those four factors, it turns out, I think uh, have been proven to be a pretty good, uh, people generally agree, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, we've got some data around it as well. That's, that's the definition. 
So credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. That's All right, right, credibility I get, but presumably credibility is built by expertise. Is that enough? Uh, well, it, it branches out into a lot of areas. There's expertise, like are you really good at something? There is certification. Does somebody prove that you're really good at it? Do I have degrees from a, a, a respectable place? Uh, is there evidence that other people consider me credible? We pick up you know, signals of expertise in interacting with people. You don't have to just say I'm an expert. In fact, saying you're an expert doesn't do much. We like to feel it proved. But there's also uh, a more softer sense of it. Do I get a, a sense that you understand uh, my way of talking about the world? That kind of comes into credibility as well. I'm, I'm not just off in some ivory tower. I get you, and therefore I can communicate as well. But it's mostly what you said. It's mostly expertise. Okay. All right. I like that one. It's that sense of that you can talk, you understand my world. You understand where I'm coming from. You can speak to me in a language that I understand. Right. All right. Re- reliability presumably means you do what you say you do. Is it more than that? Uh, well, it, that, that one kind of bleeds off into a territory of integrity, which I find is one of the more um, infuriatingly vague words. It's, I'm not really clear what people mean by it, but it does have a lot to do with doing what you said you would do. Interestingly, um, there are several myths about trust. One of them is this one. People say um, uh, trust takes a long time to create and a moment to destroy. It's actually not true. The only one that takes a long time to create is reliability because it requires the passage of time to create a track record. So reliability is unique in that. You have to do a few things before people can say, yeah, he's reliable. The other ones don't take long at all. Credibility, you look at the degree on the wall of your doctor's office. Oh, my gosh, I recognize that university. Uh, Intimacy, we can talk later. The other two take moments. Credibility actually does take, or sorry, reliability takes a little bit of time. So that, I think, is a unique factor. So you think it's a myth that it takes a long time to build uh, trust and a short time to destroy it? Yes, and the reason for that, it's not a function of time. It's a function of intensity. So, for example, uh, you might we might say, um, uh, I, I trust Amazon to deliver stuff to me. Well, if Amazon misses two deliveries, suddenly I don't trust them very much. But that's a fairly narrow version of trust. If, uh, if I have a good friend and they mess up with me on something, something they told me turns out to be wrong, I'll give them a break because I've known them for a long time. It's a relatively trivial mistake in the scheme of things. So what we often, that phrase, trust takes a long time to create, short time to blow, what's, uh, it's not really time, it's a function of intensity. How egregious was the error and how shallow was the trust that you began with? It's an issue of quality, not, not longevity or quantity. Okay. All right. So, and I want to come to intimacy and self-orientation in just a minute too, but I always think in the corporate environment that right. trust, trustworthiness, to stay with this part of it, is not a binary choice. It's not a zero one. It's always shades of in between zero Absolutely and one. Right. And this yes. would imply that there are things that can happen that are going to cause my credibility to go up or my reliability yep. to go up and things that can ha- cause them to come down um, totally as well right. as the other two. Okay. That's- That's exactly right. Fabulous. All right. So now intimacy. This is an odd word to have in a business conversation. What do you mean by it and why does it matter? It is an odd word. We we chose it intentionally and consciously and we often get pushback on it. And it's there to, you know, to create a little bit of shock in people. We could have called it something soft and squishy, but I think it's worth it. What we mean by it is a sense of safety and security. Do I feel 
uh, all right sharing things with you that I might not share with everyone. Uh, it's it has to do a lot with with uh, empathy, with vulnerability, emotional intelligence. Th- those are some of the more more common concepts. But basically, a- am I willing to open up to you? Do I do I create a sense that you're going to treat me decently and respect who I am and my feelings, and therefore make it okay to share? There, I'll take a controversial example: Bill Clinton, the good Bill Clinton, if you will. Uh, everybody who's ever met him, ever, ever seen him remarks on the amazing ability he has to connect with people. That's that sense of intimacy that people say, oh, I, I, I feel like he knows me. Um, that's, that's what we're talking about with intimacy. And do you have any sense of what it is people do that creates the sense of intimacy? Well, yeah, the biggest, oh, there are two things they do. Um, and, and both of them are familiar to us, I think. Number one is they, we sent, somebody who we feel has high intimacy level, we sense that they get us, that they pay attention to us, that they listen to us, or that they care about us, uh, but especially listen. And the other thing is we sense that they're willing to take a risk with us. They are willing to open up themselves, and that very powerful reciprocity urge makes us think, well, they're willing to open to me, then I'm willing to open to them. One of the more powerful drivers in human interactions is reciprocity. It absolutely drives the trust uh, dynamic. Okay, Harry, we're going to talk about that one in a moment. Oh, yes. Um, people have said to me, while we're on the Bill Clinton story, whether you love him or you don't love him, right. people have said to me that one of the things that he does that's so amazing, he has this ability to make eye contact and to zero in on people. So in that few seconds where he's shaking your hand, you feel like you're the only person in the room. Exactly. Okay. So the and same he- kind of item. Okay. It, yeah, it, it, that's what he's doing is paying attention to you. And for that moment, you feel that the concentrated power uh, of a highly effective person devoting 100% of his powerful attention to you. It's an enormous compliment. It's not something that we run across uh, every day. Most people are distracted, you know, and they look at you glancing away and you know they're thinking a million other things. Bill Clinton and others who have that capability, and we can all develop it have the ability to focus 100% on the person in front of them. And it is, it's a glorious kind of a compliment, and it, it generates that feeling in, in us. I know it sounds trivial to say you focus on somebody, but I have to tell you, I just say to people, the next time you're shaking somebody's hand, make sure you're really focused on just them, not anything else. You know, not their name, not what you're about to say, not who else is in the room. Nothing. That's it's right. harder than it sounds for it that few seconds to give 100% attention. Uh, you're completely right. Okay. All right. So we've got credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. Now, presumably self-orientation is could be one part personality, but it could also be one part what's going on in the organization. Well, I think it's uh, I, uh, hmm. personality is a complicated word. I, I don't think it's it's built into us in the same sense that extroversion or introversion or other personality types are built in. It's a question of how much control we have over our, our self-comfort. How much freaked out are we by, you know, what's going on and how much do we feel comfortable enough to pay attention to what's going on in the rest of the world? So anybody listening to this, think of yourself being in a high-stress sales situation. Think of yourself presenting in front of a room, giving some kind of lecture. Think of any high-stress situation where you feel suddenly, uh, uh-oh, everybody's looking at me and I better perform rightly. In that moment, you probably feel highly self-oriented, which means everything's about you. You're highly tuned. Fight or flight mechanisms are ready to kick in. 
And the ability to lower your self-orientation is a measure of how comfortable you are being in that situation to the extent that you can actually pay attention to other people. So the key to being a good public speaker, anyone will tell you, is the ability to just stop the noise in your own head and focus on somebody else out in the audience one at a time, they usually tell you, so you can personalize it. The ability to be calm in a high-stress sales situation is tied up with your ability to remember this is not about me, this is about them, and to not feel personally persecuted, freaked out, whatever, by, by the dialogue, and to get rid of the notion of, am I going to get this sale, what do they think of me, and instead stay focused on, hmm, that's interesting, what can I do to help this person, given what they just told me. Um, it's, it's the most kind of, uh, when you, you see the two versions of it, high and low self-orientation, I think it's the most dramatic of the three. Uh, there are a number of stories that we tell about moments where somebody's high self-oriented and low self-oriented. It's huge. The ability to not feel under attack, but rather to continue to be in service to the person in front of you. Huge factor. Yeah. We've done um, a couple of radio shows, one in particular with Jim Tam on a topic called radical collaboration. And he talks very candidly in that one about Uh self-defense. When the defenses are are raised, when you're feeling, you know, insecure in some ways and what that form takes like and what drives it and where it comes from and so on. But presumably that's part of it. When I am feeling defensive for whatever reason – um, the self-orientation has to go up. I'm being protective of myself. Exactly. And and the key to this, I think, partly without getting too, you know, Buddhist Beatles song, um, uh, ve- uh, co- co- cars- <laughs> cosmic karmic about this, is to just be able to say, come on, this doesn't matter. This is not really about me. I, I think sales situations are a classic example. When a client says to you in a first meeting, why is your price so high? Or why should we buy from you? We hear those as personal threats. And in many cases, they're meant as personal threats. And the trick is to not see them that way at all. Simply see them as opening defensive movements on the part of somebody who who themselves is afraid. And to be able to answer the question, we'll say something like, well, that's interesting. What do you mean by high price? For example, do you mean A? Do you mean B? Do you mean C? We can talk about A. I'm not sure about B. Why should we buy from you? I don't know. We just met. Let's let's talk about the various reasons why somebody might buy from somebody. In other words, flip it away from being a personal attack. Move it into back where you want it, which is a collaborative discussion aimed at helping the other person. And uh, and th- those are some of the ways in which you get out of it. Great. One of the advice from a couple of people is when, when you feel under attack to just in effect say, tell me more. And that's what you just did with those questions. A little bit more sophisticated than tell me more, but the same idea. It is the same idea. Right. All right. Credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. I get it. Now, you've done a whole bunch of research about who is trusted most and why. Give us a yes. one minute summary of that. Well, we, we actually got data on it. About 70,000 people, we got to take in a, a test version of it and a couple of headlines. First of all, it turns out the most powerful of those four factors, if you, if you look at them equally weighted rather than triple weighted for self-orientation, it turns out intimacy is the greatest factor, the most powerful in a regression equation, the highest coefficient. Uh, who has that? Turns out women. Statistically, significantly, women are more trustworthy than men. Um, and women, not coincidentally, score more highly than men on the intimacy factor, which is the most powerful. 
older people score more highly than younger people, which I think makes sense. Any of us can ask ourselves, am I more trustworthy today than what I was 20 years younger? Most of us would say, yeah, that, that makes sense. So intimacy, women, older people. Those are, I think, the headlines. <laughs> intimacy, women, and older people. Okay. One <laughs> of those I might can do something about. The others I'm not so sure about. That's I true. That one. I love that one. Okay. One last question here. And I want to flip. We're going to take a break in just a minute. And I want to sure. flip talking about the trustworthiness to the other part trusting. Right. But does expertise really make you more trusted? What's your view on that? Well, it does if you, uh, uh, if you, it, it gets you in the door. I mean, expertise is probably the best way for before people meet you. You know, what do we do? We send a resume, we send an advertisement, we do branding. These are all before we meet people to establish kind of an uh, entry criterion. Is this person likely to be worth my time? It's great stuff to get you in the door. The biggest problem I find in, in business and professional services is people keep pushing the credibility expertise thing once they're in the door. Once you start talking, that's not what people are interested in. You've already met the entry criteria. It's like if you have a job interview, don't read off the resume once you're in the interview. The resume is what got you in the door. So the role of expertise, once you're actually engaged with somebody, becomes very different. It's do you have the judiciousness to use that expertise when it's appropriate without showing off? We hate name droppers, you know, and people who are just burnishing their, their credentials. Use them in my service. Then your expertise becomes extremely valuable. So it serves to get you in the door. And then if you use it correctly in service to the other, it helps enormously. But if all you're doing is hyping your, your credentials, it, it'll hurt you. So that would imply that anytime I'm trying to prove myself to somebody else, once I've gotten in the door, right. I'm on dangerous ground. Pretty much. We don't like people who, who are all about that. That's high self-orientation. If I'm already talking to you, uh, why are you wasting my time proving yourself? Why don't you talk about me? Um, I think a very simple metaphor that everybody can relate to is going out on a blind date. You meet somebody for the first time and, and they say to you, well, tell me about yourself. And if you're, you know, basically uh, simple, basic wise, you, you tell them about yourself for about one minute. And then the polite thing to do is to say, but enough about me. Let's talk about you. That shows you understand dynamics of, of social interaction. It shows you have an interest in the other person. You know how to behave. If you go on for five minutes about yourself, trying to prove yourself and how smart you are, you just lost the next date because at that point, it doesn't matter how bright and brilliant you are. You obviously are all wrapped up in yourself and we don't care about you. Okay. All right. So that tells me when I do my business introductions, I need to cut my intro to myself <laughs> to down to under a minute. Fair That's enough. Probably right. <laughs> Though I typically don't start with that one. Okay. We're going to take a break. With me today is Charlie Green. Charlie is the author of three books or co-author and author of three books. One is called Trust-Based Selling. And then he's a co-author of the Trusted Advisor and the Trusted Advisor Field Book. He also run, is founder and CEO of the Trusted Advisor Associates. Um, I think the highlight of all of this one is the trust equation. And I want to re reiterate for people that it's only one half of the trust part. It's the trustworthiness part. Credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self. And we've just self-orientation. We just heard that intimacy is a big driver of that one. So fascinating. So when we come back, I want to talk about the second half of that equation. What does it take to, to be trusting? I think I've said that correctly. We'll be right yes. back. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. I'm with Charlie Green today. Charlie is an author, speaker, and world expert on trust-based relationships and sales, particularly in complex businesses. He's the author of Trust-Based Selling and the co-author of The Trusted Advisor and The Trusted Advisor Fieldbook. He's also founder and CEO of The Trusted Advisor Associates. Having worked with a lot of very complicated organizations and over 20 years in management consulting. Now, we've just been talking about trust. And Charlie has made the statement that one half of trust is your trustworthiness defined by credibility plus reliability plus intimacy divided by self-orientation. The second half of the equation, though, about trust is, Charlie, what's that? Well, it's it's the ability to trust other people, yourself. Uh, in other words, trustworthiness is kind of a passive attribute, uh, the Boy Scout mantra of, of um you know, all the, all the qualities of yourself. Think of those as kind of virtues. And that's the obvious part. We, we expect people to trust us if we deserve the trust, if we're trustworthy, if we're virtuous. But the fact is, if all you do is be trustworthy all the time, eventually there will come a point when the other person says, gee, you know, I noticed something in our interactions. I appreciate that you're trustworthy all the time and you tell me the right stuff and you're reliable. But I notice I'm always the one taking the risk. 
You never take a risk. So you know what? I'm not sure I trust you after all. What's going on here? That's the dynamic. Um, in fact, it, the trust is a reciprocating and reciprocal relationship. That's a bunch of R words there. It's a relationship. And the nature of it is we have to go back and forth. We reciprocate. First I take a risk, then you take a risk. And if all you do is one side of it, it falls down. It, 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 uh, it fails at some point. I think the most visible manifestation of that dynamic is simply a handshake. One person reaches out to the other, extends their hand in a well-known social anthropological ritual that says, you know, I make myself vulnerable to you. I mean no harm. Here is my hand. Now, there's nothing to prevent the other party from turning around on their heel and spurning them and dissing them, um, in which case, boom, that relationship's over. But, all, you know, we don't do that. We usually return a handshake, and it's, you know, it's symbolic. You see presidents exchanging handshakes. Uh, there's that back to um, uh, presidents and stuff, the, the handshake, uh, the attempt many years ago to, to forge some kind of Israeli-Arab conflict. Anyway, handshakes are important. They're symbolic, and it's, it's, it's back and forth. You can't just have one side of it. So <laughs> too many words to say that's the, that's the other part of trust. So does if I'm trying to build a trust relationship with somebody, do I have to start then with being risk taking a risk with them? Is that well, what happens? You do, unless you uh, in the sales world, it's called aggressively waiting for the phone to ring. You can sit around and look trustworthy and and uh, attractive to people who want to take a risk, and and many will do. And in some cases in business, the customer, the client, the other person is willing to take the first risk. But if you'd like to make your own luck, if you'd like to trigger and kick off a trust-based relationship, yes, you do have to be the one that initiates it. And the metaphor here I find most useful is what do you do if somebody invites you to dinner? Let's, let's say a, a loose business connection or somebody you're getting acquainted with. They say, come on over to our house for dinner. What do you do? <clears throat> you stop at the liquor store and you buy a bottle of wine. Um, but if you're thoughtful about it, you'll say, you know what? Um, I think these people uh, went to vacation in the north of Italy last year. What if we got a bottle of Piemontese red wine or something and spend a few extra bucks on it? So you do that. Now, number one, it shows that you're thoughtful. But number two, it also means you could be wrong. Maybe they're alcoholics, in which case it was a bad idea. Or maybe you were wrong and they went to Spain. It wasn't Italy after all. But the point is you actually get credit for having taken that risk. You actually get credit for the possibility for being willing to step out there and even be wrong. Because people forgive that because you showed A, the thoughtfulness, and B, the willingness to take a risk. You extended your hand in a way. Now, extend that analogy into business, and we can talk about specific ways in which you take a risk in, in an initial meeting. Uh, but, but yes, that's what you do. If you want to kick off a trust relationship, you need to find some socially acceptable small form of risk-taking that initiates and kicks off that reciprocating trust relationship. Okay, so give me an example about that in sales, and then I'm going to turn it inside to manager and subordinate. Yes. Okay, good. They're, they're the same dynamics, although obviously slightly different variations. In sales, you might say, um, hi, nice to meet you. By the way, um, we, we're not experts in your business, but we do know a little about things. And we took the time to look into your business. And it seems to us that one of the following issues must be really critical to you. And I'd be interested to hear your take on this issue. Uh, and, and you name that issue, and it better be real. 
Uh, there's only two possible answers. Uh, they're both good. The first one is you're absolutely right. You know, that's a huge issue for us. And if you have anything to say about that, we'd love to talk to you about it. That's a good answer. The other one, oddly, is just as good. And that's when the customer says, ah, everybody thinks that's the big issue, but it's not. It's really this issue over here. In which case you can say, oh, my God, of course you're right. Wow, how insightful. That's fascinating. Tell me more, to go back to your phrase. And that's a great dialogue, too. Both of them show that you took the time to make an intelligent guess about what's important to them, as opposed to walking in and, and pretending that you're an expert in everything or playing it very, very safe and only coming up with banalities. So that's a sales example. Okay. Uh, the Go ahead. I was going to ask, so I want to put this in a very specific context and a place um, I find trust in a manager subordinate is absolutely critical, and that is around the diversity agenda, however you want to define it. But when we take a manager who's of the more typical style of that company, whatever that is, and a subordinate who's not of that style or type or gender or ethnicity or socioeconomic background, there's a cautiousness from the subordinate. You know, are you going to get me? Are you, can I trust you? Right. Okay. So in that context, how do you build trust? How do you take that initial risk? Of, of all the relationships, boss-subordinate one is, is a little more tricky, but I think it can be done. Uh, if you are the boss, I think it's a little bit easier. Uh, you can, if you're smart, say, listen, help me understand something. You know, obviously, I'm this gender, age, race, whatever, and you're that age, race, gender, whatever. And I, I want to make sure I understand some things. Help, help me understand. That, that's another great three-word phrase, help me understand. Uh, if you are the subordinate, I think you can basically say the same thing. Uh, it's going to feel a little bit riskier. It is a little bit riskier. Uh, and I think you may acknowledge that too, to say, listen, I feel a little bit risky raising this, but, uh, you're this, I'm that help me understand some of the groundworks around here. Would you mind sharing with me how you view this, this issue? So you're basically, you're saying, I'm vulnerable here. I want to confess that. I would appreciate it if it's a favor to me. You could tell me your perspective of the ground rules. Okay. That's the kind of conversation that I envision. So in effect, you're doing the same thing as social exchange theory. I'm asking for a favor. Uh, yes, I'm not familiar with that. But I, uh, the dynamics within trust of asking a favor are really interesting. It actually increases trust. You would think that it draws down on trust by asking a favor. It actually the opposite. It increases it because we're all kind of uh, appreciate. We're, uh, we feel validated if somebody asks us a favor, especially if they give us an out. You know, you don't have to do it. It's voluntary. Okay. Um, well, social exchange theory, for those who I just realized not everybody knows this one, but the notion is that the, of reciprocation, that I do something nice for you and then you tend to reciprocate in kind. Right. So it's that um, I took a risk with you and you will tend to reciprocate in kind or I, you did a favor for me and therefore you can expect that I will do a favor for you. Uh, absolutely right. And, and that, that dynamic is just huge. I've come to realize more and more, the more I look at trust, it, it is just enormous. Whether you expect ill or good of people, that's what you're going to get back. Um, the, the reciprocating dynamic is just, is just uh, hard to overstate. That's, and I like that one. If you're expecting good or ill, that's what you're going to get back. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, it is. It really is. 
interesting. Okay. That has me thinking about a whole host of things. <laughs> um, so let's go back. I want to talk for a minute about in corporate dynamics. So yes, these engagement surveys that everybody is fond of doing these days. Right. And one of the equations that always comes out in those is that the organization, some subset of the organization, doesn't trust upper management in some way. Most of my clients get that phrase and it just makes them crazy because they say, I am trustworthy. Don't they understand all that I do? So they're going to the one half vacation on the trustworthiness. Why do you think this is such a common phenomena with people saying we don't trust other management and more importantly, what do we do about it? Right. Well, I think I think there's several things going on there, maybe at least three. Number one, we use, and this is another trust myth, we, we confuse corporate trust or institutional trust with personal trust. The fact is personal trust is much stronger. So when upper management says, gee, how come they don't trust us as much? Well, because you're, you're thinking of yourself as upper management, probably those those uh, surveys are about upper management in general, the institution, the management structure, it's pretty impersonal. So it's, it's going to score more lowly. Uh, second of all, let's not forget that just like in, in politics, people don't trust Congress, but they do trust their Congress person, their own representative. Mm -hmm. Again, the personalizing of it, Tip O'Neill used to say finally in the U S all politics is local. Uh, the most powerful politics are, and the, and the, and the same is true of trust. And the third one I think you alluded to, it's not just trustworthiness. So you can do all these wonderful ethical things. And yeah, people will appreciate it. But if you don't show some trust in them, uh, it's not going not gonna to work very well. The, the, the classic example, I think, is in banking where, um, and again, you see surveys that conflate this thing. Trust in banking is down. Well, A, does that mean uh, uh, that that banks are less trustworthy or does it mean that people are less trusting of banks on the trustworthy on, on that distinction there's the old joke that um, banks are the places that uh, uh, hardwire the the pens to the table so you can't take them away they're, they're chained with you know chains there uh, and indeed you look at all the fine print and all the, the communications you receive from banks you look at all the fine print and the emails that you receive from certain institutions it just screams, I don't trust you. Uh, there's no way in the world that you're going to get over on us. And um, uh, I know, for example, just yesterday, I get, which happens often, I get an email from uh, my credit card company that says, we've refused payment to somebody who's trying to use your credit card. Yeah, it was me. I was trying <laughs> to use it. Why are you suspending payment and, and harassing me to the point where I have to go back and call you before you will allow me to use the credit card that you're charging me to use? And the answer is because they will have to eat the payment if there's a, a false use of it. So it's in their self-interest. And I know that. And, of course, they tell you it's in your interest. We're just trying to save you. No, you're not. You're trying to save yourself. So, um, you know, the answer is partly all those managers who say, but I'm so trustworthy, are not trusting. So the challenge to them is show some examples of where you can take personal risks with your people. The obvious part is just form better relationships uh, you know, have individual conversations, management by walking around. Obviously, it goes a lot deeper than that, but it certainly starts with that. Right. One of my colleagues um, who has been in corporate 
life for 30 some years and has dealt with this year in and year out, he says, look, why would you expect them to trust you? They don't know you. (laughs) Uh, Well, true. And whose fault is that? Exactly. Well, there's no walk around. There's no personal contact. There's not you trusting them. There's layers in between you and somebody else. And I think you're right that I may trust my individual manager, but I don't trust the larger entity of management or the corporation as a whole. Because it's less personal. I think if you look at the, I haven't, I haven't exhaustively studied this, but if you look at the literature of successful leaders, uh, you often hear stories of, of those when they, when they took on the CEO role or whatever, they spent X months traveling the world, traveling the country, visiting factories, going around, pressing the flesh. And that's partly PR, but it's also partly really getting to know a bunch of individual people, making a lot of personal connections and being seen to make personal connections by those who, you know, you didn't get to on that trip. Uh, as opposed to others who, you know, sit in the office and have the minions come in and dump data on them and, and debrief people. The first one's going to be a lot more effective than the second one. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that time and time again. I'm amazed that we still have to advise people the importance of walking around. I also find that these people, leaders of any kind who go on the world tour and who then come back six months, nine months later to the same factory or the same facility, the same office, and remember people's names. Astonishing, isn't it? Yeah. It is. (laughs) But the goodwill factor that creates is unbelievable. Oh, it's huge. Absolutely. There's a guy in, in in the small part of the social media world um, who, who is just uh, outstanding at that. I can't believe how many names he can remember. And, and whenever you run across him, boom, you're right there. It's huge. It has such an impact on people. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take a break again. So with me today is Charlie Green. And Charlie is the author of three books or co-author and author, Trust-Based Selling, Trusted Advisor, and Trusted Advisor Field Book. And in this segment, we have been really talking about the second half of trust First half is I do things that are trustworthy. I'm credible, I'm reliable, I create some intimacy, and I minimize my self-orientation. This, the second half, though, is my ability to trust other people, which comes down in effect to my willingness to take a risk with someone else. And I initiate it more often than I wait to receive it. So I often say about trust, it's the thing you give away. That the first thing is I'm going to have to show that risk. I'm going to take a small risk with you, and then you will reciprocate in kind. Exactly. All right. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about trust and organizational dynamics. And in particular, I want to go back to the statement that women are trusted more than men. We'll be right back. (laughs) Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. 
These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel, and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Charlie Green. Charlie is an author, speaker, and world expert on trust-based relationships and in sales, particularly in complicated businesses, founder and CEO of Trusted Advisor Associates, and the author of Trust-Based Selling, the co-author of the Trusted Advisor and the Trusted Advisor Field Book. Now, we've been talking about two components of trust. One is the trustworthiness side, the things that I do that make myself trustworthy in the other one, in the other person's eyes. And those are things like the virtues. And we've talked about credibility, reliability, intimacy, and a limited self-interest. But there is the second half, which is really around my willingness to take a risk with someone else and to show that I can trust that person. Small trust, small risk in the beginning, reciprocation, increased trust, and so on, or increased risk, and so on. So now I want to go back, though, at this point to something you said to Charlie earlier in your research. And you said, first off, that intimacy is by far one of the bigger drivers of trustworthiness mm-hmm. and that women are more trusted than men. Right. So, now, my problem with that is I spent a lot of time coaching and advising women in large corporate environments, and I find that many of them are put up big, big barriers to separate, to, to avoid people from getting too close. And it's a bit of self-protection. Yep. It's a bit of keeping the private and professional separate. Yep. Now, what's your advice about that? Well, it's a big topic. First of all, let me just slightly correct something. Intimacy is not by far the most powerful factor. It is significantly the most powerful factor. I don't want to overstate the case, but it it does rank number one by a non-trivial amount when you you run a regression equation. And, and, And as I said, women score more highly on that. It's the most powerful factor um, differentiating women versus men. And and when I give keynote speeches, I always ask my audiences, who do you think is more trustworthy, men or women? 
399 times out of 400, literally only one exception out of hundreds of speeches, uh, has uh, people always say women. Only one exception that I ever had in an audience, which tells me, never mind my stats, that's huge. People commonsensically agree with that statement. So why do women resist that? Well, you, you can answer as well as I can, but I think it's that women, uh, the business is largely a male environment. The rules are written by men. Women know that. Women want to get ahead. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, I don't want to get too far into psychoanalyzing. Maybe women don't want to rock the boat as much. But, you know, if you're, if you're minority, you, you want to play by the rules of the majority because that's who sets the rules. So there's a very strong inclination to sort of dampen that natural capability that women are clearly imbued with, statistically speaking, more than men. And let me be politically correct here. It doesn't mean men can't have high intimacy skills. They can. We can teach them. It doesn't mean just because you're born uh, with the right amount of chromosomes that you automatically have high intimacy skills because you were born female. Uh, But it does mean you see them statistically more often, and it's learnable. So I think the challenge, with all those caveats out of the way, is women need to feel empowered to feel feminine. And men need to listen more to it. Uh, the stats are there. Women uh, have got better performance in areas of decision-making under stress that you find in Wall Street. Women are often, I find, um, not just anecdotally, but but statistically better salespeople in many kinds of situations. And uh, we need to make women comfortable with expressing that side of their, their femaleness. Business will benefit from it. That's an incredible statement. So you said women need to be empowered to feel more feminine, and presumably by that you mean more, slightly more vulnerable. Is that what you mean? Yes, it is. I'm using femininity here, put it in quotes, as kind of a rough synonym, overlap, you know, coterminous with things like vulnerability, uh, intimacy, uh, yeah, all all the emotional intelligence stuff that we, we normally think of. Yes, women are naturally better at that, by and large, for the most part. And we need to encourage them, and they need to feel empowered to lead with that. It works. I find wow. in, in exercises we do in our training, there, there are certain areas in some of these exercises where the onus is on, you know, what's going on here it, it, to, to elicit vulnerability skills. And I can predict. It's ridiculous how, how easy it is to predict the women in the room are going to get it faster than the men because, you know, they're a little more in touch with uh, okay. uh, with those skills. So. But do they do it in the day-to-day environment? No, because they feel shut down. They're afraid it's not going to be valued. You know, and all of us need to say, no, we need more of that. Bring it on. You're not helping anybody by turning yourself into a pale version of masculinity. Okay. It's interesting. One of the things I find is that women do turn on all of that lovely intimacy skills and see it as part of their job when they're dealing with client in whatever capacity that comes but they don't think about and don't necessarily like to, and maybe it is they're not comfortable doing that with their colleagues inside the company. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that. I haven't noticed that, but that makes sense. I, I wonder and, if that isn't afraid, uh, isn't partly due to concerns about, um, uh, you know, sexual harassment in the workplace, which is, uh, I don't know. I'm guessing. It could be, and we can speculate a long time about this one, and it could be the feeling of I don't need to, and it could be that we don't feel like it's safe to do that inside, and it could yeah. be you don't feel like you got permission to do it. I, you know, leave that to individuals to come yeah. to dis- distinguish between that one. Right. Okay, so um, let me ask you a question. Can you rebuild trust once it's broken? Oh, thank you for asking that. Absolutely. 
and um, and and it's um, and trust rebuilt is stronger than trust prior to having lost it because you've you've shown uh, the recovery. It, it is absolutely possible, and the way to do it is very clear. You have to slightly overcompensate by acknowledging what you, what went wrong. You have to slightly overcompensate to get it back. And the most common mistake is people slightly undercompensate. Look at any scandal you want in politics, beginning with Watergate. The cover-up is always worse than the crime. The only way to get out of it is to say, oh, my God, this happened. Yes, I did it. It's horrible. It's, uh, it's worse than you think. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. At that point, we are willing to say, all right, you get it. We, you know, you've, you've groveled enough and worn the sackcloth and ashes. All right, stop the charades. We get it. But what happens time and time again, we want to throw in a little bit of rationalization. I'm really sorry if you took it that way. I didn't mean it that much. You know, I'm really not a bad person. Well, shut up. The fact that you're blathering on about yourself and whether you're a good or bad person and how bad your mistakes were mean you really don't get it. We want people to slightly overcompensate for that breach of trust uh, in order to earn the right to maybe get it back. Okay, so I overcompensate, meaning I, I, you said this well, I um, say it's really worse than you thought it was. And I'm sorry, I really screwed up. Done. Yes. No rationalizing, no justifying. That's but right. now, how I have to rebuild, I mean, I have to do the things that now make me trusted, trusting again. Right, right. Do you have to uh, and, do that longer or harder? No, not necessarily. It's the same stuff again. Maybe you have to do it a bit more because you need to re-earn some ground. But the, the critical part is not adding up all that extra trust. After all, you know, you trusted this person before. Uh, in some ways, I don't think it's as hard to catch up the ground. The critical thing is are you going to be in denial about the trust breach that took place or are you going to totally own your part of it uh, and, and uh, like I said, overcompensate? Uh, the willingness to acknowledge and take responsibility, that's the big holding back thing. If you can overcome that, you don't need to repeat all the ground you had in the first place. You've gotten very much back there by, by doing that. Okay, and then presumably you can't do it again. Right, then you're out. <laughs> Good. All right. All right. Um, let me ask a slightly different variation on this theme. This um, whole notion, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Well, while you're doing that, let me mention something I wanted to throw in there, too, yeah, if please. you don't mind. Back, mm-hmm. back on the intimacy thing, which is really very, very critical to all this. I find in, in today's business world, we put way too much emphasis on data, analytics, logic, process, um, behavioral metrics, uh, performance indicators, um, uh, you know, all that, all that stuff. We forget that human beings have been evolved exquisitely over eons to be highly sensitive mechanisms. We pick up all kinds of stuff. Uh, and yet I find more and more in business, people deny their gut feelings. We've succeeded in shutting down the very emotions that we learned in kindergarten. And, and, and we're supposed to sit and wait for the data. And we're shutting down an enormous part of, uh, of our human capabilities by not being in touch with our gut feelings and our responses. Again, we have some exercises in our, in our training stuff that, that show, to demonstrate to people, what were you thinking? Well, I was thinking this. Well, why the hell didn't you say that? And the answer is because we don't think it's socially appropriate. But it is. And, and, and our tendency to shut down and to wait for data instead of behaving as a real human being is a barrier to trust. 
One of the uh, folks that I like so much, Josh Freeman, on um, emotional intelligence says that there is really powerful data in the emotions. So you tune into that as a source of data, like any other kind of data. It's a lovely way of getting people to think about it. That is. I like that. All right. Last question I have for you. I did remember now what I wanted to ask is about transparency. When you look at a lot of the academic literature, particularly the older literature on uh, trust, we talk about the importance of transparency. You haven't said anything about transparency. How critical is it? It is critical, and we should say it. Transparency, if I'm transparent about what's going on, I mean, the classic example is, are you willing to say you don't know when you don't know? Uh, If you are, it says a whole bunch of things. It says, I'm confident enough in myself that I don't have to prevaricate. I'm here to help you, which means I don't have to lie about anything. I'm transparent about this. I'll be transparent about anything. What else would you like to know? It means you're hiding nothing. It means that you you can be believed when you say I'm here to support you. It is it is one of four, I call them uh, uh, trust principles, along with collaboration, focus on the other, transparency, and a long-term perspective, relationships, not transactions. So it is critical. Okay. All right. Collaboration, focus on the other, and transparency, and long-term. Right. All right. Okay, Charles, we've said a lot in this this segment. you got one, well, 30 seconds. What's your one <laughs> last piece of advice for people who are looking to build more trust? Well, there's a top 10 list that I have, and, and at the top of the list is uh, it's an attitude, not a behavior, and it's cultivate an attitude of curiosity. If you can focus on always being curious, think about the things that that implies. First of all, if you can't be curious and be self-oriented. Curious is by its nature other-oriented, outside-oriented. Uh, if you're always thinking about others and about what's going on with them and about questions for them, uh, then you'll generate interactions. That creates collaboration. That creates interactions. Um, it lowers your self-orientation. And you end up learning a lot, which helps on the credibility side as well. So be curious. Attitude of curiosity. I think curiosity gets you out of all sorts of places, and it's also a powerful way of shutting down some of the defensiveness, exactly, exactly as you said about the self-orientation. All right, we're out of time. With me today is Charlie Green. Charlie is the author of Trust-Based Selling and the co-author of The Trusted Advisor. Charlie, it's been fabulous to have you with me today. I think the highlight for me of the entire thing is the distinction between being trusting, taking a risk, and being trustworthy. So thank you. I'm so glad you appreciate that distinction. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. And next week, we're joined by Steve Miller. We're going to talk about careers and purpose and meaning and how to craft the kind of career you're really looking for. Join us then. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.